you know what I mean, and going like this, and Hosanna in the highest, kind of dancing around and doing stuff, you know, and, and then they see him coming, and like, they lay down, you know, the palms, like, as he comes, like, walking down on it, and he's on his, not on a horse, you know, on like a, you know, a little donkey, kind of like a jackass, a coal, right, throw a coat on there, and he comes riding on that, and they're all flipping out, going crazy, and then the religious leaders are like, you better tell them to relax, you can't do that, you know, maybe like some people at church are like, why are they acting like that? It's, it's not very Christian. Yeah. And uh, Jesus is like, you know what? If they're not going to do it, the rocks would just start crying out. Like things are just going to burst at the seams right now. This is heavy duty. You know, this was foretold 500 years in advance. You can say what you want, but this is happening right now. Um, and then a week later, they're all saying as a group, as a crowd, crucify him, crucify him, kill him. It's crazy. So if there's certainly one message, one lesson from you know, Palm Sunday and this final week is you just cannot entrust yourself completely to the opinions of other people. The core of popular opinion just changes way too much. And if like, we're too attached to that, you just go up, down, up, down. If Jesus was a super emotional guy, like totally dominated by how other people took him in and perceived him, man, he'd be a basket case. He was just wouldn't be able to make it. That's a huge, huge, you know, total ends of the spectrum. So Palm Sunday is uh, pretty amazing, but a week later, it's like nobody's around. In fact, even his own friends, they weren't even at the cross. He was totally by himself. He had like one guy, maybe two guys left, and a few women. And that was it. It's like, what? It's crazy. So um, come Easter Sunday, I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the resurrection uh, about Jesus. And so obviously we're going to take a break from Matthew. It's just an Easter message. Um, looking forward to it. So this morning, Matthew 16, um, verse 5. And uh, let's take a look. We'll read it. Let's uh, open up in prayer first. And So God, we just ask, Lord, that you would bless this morning. We pray, Lord, that you could uh, speak to us uh, through your word. Pray, God, that you would speak through me, that I wouldn't take your message. And we pray, God, that you would help us to take away something applicable, something helpful for us, something for us to better understand you, something for us to strengthen us, show us what to avoid and what to look out for, and then uh, encourage us, Lord, with how good and how gracious you are towards us. So I pray we'd get a sense of that, Lord. And we pray for downstairs uh, with the kids. Uh, and Sal down there, Lord, and for the women in the nursery uh, with their children, Lord, we just pray you just bless everybody this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read the passage, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. So verse 5, it says, When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. So you see that word, the yeast? That's why I was in that bonus question there. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is because we didn't bring any bread. And verse 8 says, aware of their discussion, Jesus said, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000? Or how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many basketfuls you gathered there? 
How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? It says, Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So you can see in this story there, it's like there's just this serious, you know, sort of misunderstanding going on here. Right? That's really basically the idea here. Um, I don't know about you, but I can say that um, in life, I feel like, at this particular stage in my life right now, I feel like misunderstandings is like so regular and so expected every day. It's like, I'm not sure quite how often I'm actually being understood. And I'm not sure if that's uh, partly because I'm just a really bad communicator. Maybe that's the case. Maybe I send a lot of mixed signals. You know, I'm not really sure. But I know part of um, this idea of being misunderstood a lot certainly plays into one aspect. And one aspect is that I'm a math teacher all during the week. Not everybody grasps that stuff. So I'm definitely going to get misunderstood, you know, there. You know, I'm talking about you know, polynomials and rational functions and then we're talking about mid-segments and you're already gone. You know what I mean? And so these kids are hearing that all day, every day, all week. And so I'm definitely going to get misunderstood there. Um, And then, you know, I have a little one at home who uh, he can't quite talk yet. And so we're trying to communicate the best we can, but there's definitely going to be misunderstandings there. You know, it happened this past week where, um, it was yesterday, it was just yesterday. I was having some oatmeal in the morning, and uh, he was coming over. I was sitting on the couch having some oatmeal, and you know he came over, and a lot of times he just comes over and he kind of just looks like into the bowl, because he's very hesitant on, on trying like foods and things. He really has to analyze it, so he like gets on his tippy toes and looks, and you know he just sort of like looks at it. Sometimes I put the spoon there, and he just kind of scans it, and then he runs away, and then he comes back and he just kind of scans it, you know. And, so for this particular morning, he was feeling like daring, and so I had a, uh, uh, I had some blueberries in my oatmeal, and I said, you know, you want some? You want some? And he actually went in for it. He doesn't usually do that, so he goes in, grabs like the blueberry, takes a bite, and I'm like, oh god, this could get real bad real fast. You know, he could just throw this thing. We got blueberry everywhere, and he liked it, and he started to eat it. You know, so I gave him a few more, and now he's like just covered, you know, with blueberries. So typically, I love this little kid. I want to grab him, I squeeze him, I hug him, I kiss him. I'm very, very affectionate with him. Always. And so now, he comes over to me, just covered, blueberry mess. He's like, uh, uh, and he wants me to grab him, hug him. And I'm like, run away, like, no, don't touch me. No, no, no. You know, and so how much of a misunderstanding is going on there? Here I am all the time telling him how great he is, how much I love him, and touching him, and embracing him. And I'm like, get away from me. And it's not that I don't want him to touch me. It's just that he got messy, and I want him to touch me with, with that mess. So, um, you know, I, I was thinking also about a quote this week, doing some premarital counseling, and um, that's, uh, that's always good for me and Julie, too, because it forces us to get back to, like, all these basic things, and that helps out a lot. It really does help us out a lot, because none of us are perfect. Nobody ever gets it perfect. And so one quote that sticks out uh, says, Can you say what you mean and understand what you hear? Can you say what you mean and understand what you hear? Or in other words, are you good at communicating what you want in a way to make sure that they definitely hear it the way you want it to be projected? It takes a certain skill to do that because we might know what we want to say, 
but only skillful people can really make sure that they really got what we wanted them to get. Right? That's not that easy. We can definitely get into that like whole you know, misunderstanding idea in communication. And so, um, I was just reading the other day when, you know, couples, you know, some couples eventually get, you know, to marital counseling at whatever stage, you know, usually it's gone too far and that's just kind of the way we are. We, you know, kind of just wait to the last minute. Um, but when it does get there, it says 97% of the couples that a lot of therapists sit down with, it's a breakdown in communication, you know. It's just there's these misunderstandings and we think we're really getting our point across, but apparently, like, we're really not. Maybe for us we are, but if the other person isn't really receiving it that way, you know, it's not really working out. Um, we can understand that pretty well. When it comes to Christianity, it's a little more difficult. Right? So, like, these guys were walking talking, hanging out with Jesus. He's like physically there, interacting. There's like feedback immediately right away. And I do believe that we have the Holy Spirit with us now and we could still talk and interact and he would speak to us and do things. But it's not the same as having like a physical body, you know, right there that you're just going back and forth with. And so that definitely opens up the door to misunderstandings definitely opens up the door to misunderstandings. Uh, We can have misunderstandings about who Christ is, what He did, why He did them, and that can affect us in powerful ways. Right? Who Christ is, well, I guess it depends who you talk to. What He did, again, I guess it depends who you talk to, and why He did them can impact impact us in powerful ways and it will affect our belief system. And so what happens a lot of times is you know, some people, you know, go to people that they feel like they can trust, you know, and then they'll listen and, and kind of take that in, which is good. But at the same time, like, we want to make sure we're doing our part and, like, lining it up with the Word and making sure, like, they're being sound by it. Because, unfortunately, there's been a lot of good, authentic, trustworthy people that have fallen really hard, you know, and it's just like, what? And when the people have believed in them and they put their trust in them, and then, you know, those particular people didn't live up to maybe what they were preaching or how they might have looked, that, that hurts. And then that could scar you for a long time and just kind of turn you off, maybe from Christianity or from Jesus altogether. So misunderstandings um, is very difficult and very possible. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to just address some misunderstandings, but what we're going to take away is four um, warnings for us that could be really helpful. And I really enjoyed this because as I was sitting down writing this, I was like, yeah, like that's really good, Lord. Like, yes, yes, I agree with that. So we're going to take away um, four uh, warnings that could be really helpful for us because Jesus said, beware, or like, watch out. In a, two cases for the same reason. And we're going to look at that this morning. Like, what is Jesus telling other people to watch out for? What would he say, hey, beware of? So we're going to take a look um, at some of that. So in order to do this, right, let's look at the passage. So in verse 5, right, it says, They went across the lake. It says, Disciples forgot to take bread. So Jesus says to them, You know, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So basically what these guys are supposed to do, they're supposed to be bringing lunch. They're right? supposed to be bringing dinner. They're supposed to be bringing their bread. And they forget. You know, we forget. Um, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I just leave my lunch, like, on the counter you know what I mean? You just, you know, forget to bring it. So they forget. But then again, if I had Jesus with me and we just did all those miracles like on the hills, feeding thousands of people, 
I think I remember my lunch. I'd be like, I got Jesus. Like, the lunch is there, you know. He could just make it happen in any way. So they forget their lunch. So at the same time, Jesus makes a comment about yeast, which has to do with bread. And so now they're really confused. And so he says, hey, listen, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they're like, what timing there? You know, we forgot the bread. He's talking about yeast. Oh, so he must be like mad at us because we forgot, you know. Oh. And that can definitely happen in the Christian walk. Oh, God must be like saying this because this happened like at this time. And sometimes he might be right, but then sometimes he might be off in left field somewhere. It says, then they discussed it among themselves... All right, and they said it's because we didn't bring any bread. So Jesus, like, he started to figure it out. He said, oh my gosh, you guys are just not getting this. He says, why are you guys talking about this stuff? He says, don't you get it? Remember I did the miracles before of uh, the 5,000 and the leftovers and the 4,000 and the leftovers? He goes, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, then they understood, right, that's not telling them to guard against uh, yeast and bread, but the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So I have a, a friend at work I've mentioned to you before who's a, a, a Catholic and he's one of like their elders sort of um, deacons kind of in their faith and they kind of have like a rotation the way it works sometimes or certain people go speak at different churches and we always ask about, hey, you know, what are you doing this week? What are you doing this week? What are you doing this week? And um, he saw me in study hall. We were in calf study hall together. He's like, what are you doing this week? I said, uh, I got the... I got the bread thing, you know, they're talking about bread and, you know, he's not. And he just starts laughing. He's like, oh, that's good. You can have some fun with that. It's easy to, you know, uh, relate to that. How when Jesus says something, we can easily misconstrue that and be like, wow, we were way off base there. Jesus was talking about something totally different. So what Jesus was really focusing on was, you know, he could care less if they forgot bread. They forgot bread, you know, who cares? Whatever. He could just speak it and it'll be there. They just want them to get the idea and the impression of, hey, listen, watch out for the yeast of these guys. What is the yeast? What is Jesus talking about? Well, in order for us to know what he's talking about, we have to not put our listening ears on, but we have to put our leaven ears on. Not a good joke. Okay, we have to put our leaven ears on. Right? Leaven is yeast. Okay? And so, right? Leaven Yeast, the idea behind that is that you only need a small amount of it, right, to get into some bread and make it rise. And so, believe it or not, in the Bible, um, this word, leaven and yeast, was actually, like, pretty important. Uh, during Passover, when they left from Egypt, you know, they didn't have any leaven in their bread because they left so quickly. When they celebrate that, they can't put any leaven in their bread. When they would actually go to church or to the temple back then, um, they would have to offer up sometimes sacrifices that had no yeast, no leaven. Uh, when it was a particular day, they had to get all the yeast and leaven out of their house. So this idea of yeast and leaven took on this uh, meaning and connotation of like this sort of corrupting influence that could like just weave its way in their lives and only a small amount and then it could just permeate you know, the rest of it. And so it had like this really uh, sinful uh, sort of uh, connotation to it. Very corrupting influence. And Jesus is saying, hey listen, watch out for the corrupting influence of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right? That was the leaven. It was the teaching of them. So what exactly 
was their teaching? What were these guys talking about? What was the teaching that Jesus was like, hey, listen, beware of? And this is the part where I was like, wow, you know, I could definitely see some of this, you know, possibly creeping in to my life and to our lives. Um, because at the end of the day, I don't think we're really much different than the Pharisees, you know, and the Sadducees. We're still people, you know, just like they are. And in their day and age, they're the type of people who, like, knew, you know, not necessarily the same Bible we have, but their Torah, their Old Testament, they knew their scriptures better than anyone. They were great. Um, and Jesus even told them, he says, you know, you think if you search diligently and you know this better than everybody, like, you know, that that makes you acceptable before me and makes you, like, in good standing. He's like, no, that's not the case. He's like, you know, I need your hearts in this. Because they just really filled up on a lot of head knowledge. So, as far as, you know, so if they're doing all these good things, you know, and they were very, very religious, but they were still totally missing the point. So that's why Jesus warns his disciples several times, hey, listen, as you continue to sort of, you know, grow in your faith and God continues to use you in powerful ways, there's some things you've got to watch out for. So there's some things we should be looking out for too and watching out for. So, four, four types of yeast or leaven that I think we want to be on guard of. Four types. Here is the first type of yeast and leaven that we want to look out for. And it is outward show. Outward show. These guys love to do outward show. Let me read you a quick passage from Matthew 23. You don't have to turn there. But I'll read it. Matthew 23, uh, verses 3 through 7. It says, so you must obey them. So here's what Jesus says. And he's talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, you must obey them. Which is interesting. He says, obey them. What? It says, you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. So he's kind of like, you know, do what they say. You know, they get that right. You know, but don't do what they do. Do as I say, not as I do. It says, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their robes and stuff, and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and those important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. These guys were big on outward show. Like that was very, very important to them. So that's certainly some leaven like that we want to look out for is like outward show stuff and it can kind of creep in, you know, little by little. I can think of, you know, some uh, friends of mine that uh, like are in ministry, you know, in church stuff and doing things and it's interesting how some of them respond when people recognize things that they're doing and when people don't recognize, you know, things that they're doing. Um, I think it's a good thing, like, to encourage, you know, people and, like, point out, you know, they're doing a good job and, you know, to sort of um, help them out and, you know, to encourage them. I think that's good. Like, there's a guy in the, in the early church um, that was great at this. You know, uh, Barnabas was awesome. He was, uh, he was just an encourager. He's really good at it. And he was one of the first guys in the early church and he brought a lot of people together. You know, he could do that well. You know, but the other side is when you're only going to do things when you get recognized. Or maybe when 
we make a point to like let others people know, hey, I did this or I did that. You know, we really draw you know attention to that. <coughs> and so these guys would love to draw attention to themselves. Yes, you know, I am the pastor, you know, and I do do this. And they would, you know, make it a point to do, like, their really good prayers. You know, they, they were always looking really nice, you know, and really fine. And um, if they did a good deed that day, they would be sure to tell you about it, you know. Um, so maybe you know these types of people and you've seen these kinds of things before. Uh, and the scary part is that they do it just to get the praise from everybody else. Because that's all that really matters. Because at some point in our relationship with Christ, you know, we're going to be put in situations where it's like, okay, am I going to do this where I know I'm going to get praise for it, or I'm not really going to do it, nobody's going to see or notice anyway. Maybe you've been in that place, you know, before. I know that, you know, I have certainly tons of times where it's just like, well, you know, I could do that thing. Nobody would probably know one way or the other. But of course, the issue really is then, you know, like, why would I really be doing it? Does it even really matter if anybody, you know, would really be around to see that or not? Um, so we don't want to, like, make a show out of it. So that was one of the types, you know, of leaven that these guys are just addicted to, just having people love them and appreciate them and hold them up on it. And um, it's strange, you know. And, and I have some friends that, um, you know, are pastors too, and they draw, like, a lot, a lot of attention on what they do and... It's, it's weird, you know, it makes you feel kind of uncomfortable. It's like, wow, why are you drawing so much, like, you know, kind of attention to what you're doing and what you're saying? Like, if anything, what we want to do is if the attention does come our way for whatever particular reason, we don't want to soak it up for ourselves. We want to bring it, like, right back to God. And so it's like, you know, if people go through maybe a difficult time in life, you know, and they're kind of pushing on and doing the best that they can and other people are noticing that maybe people are having a hard time and... People could take that for themselves and be like, yeah, you know, I'm really trying hard to be strong right now. You know, it's difficult, but, you know, I got to just suck it up and kind of push on and keep doing it. And, you know, that's probably kind of true. And it's good to have that skill. But on the other side, hopefully for the Christian, it's like, honestly, God is just giving me what I need right now. I'm leaning into him the best that I can. And, and you don't know that in my own private time, when I'm by myself, I lose it. I lose it. And I just pour it out to God. I lose it, you know? So, that sort of losing it moment and pouring it out to God, I don't think that these Pharisees and Sadducees were too familiar with that because anything God-related was just done in the sight of people, which is really unfortunate and really sad. So, another type of leaven to be on guard for. So, that was the first one, outward show. Here's the next type of leaven to be on guard for, is that they're routine and ritual experts. Routine and ritual experts. Let's take a look here. Matthew 15, 7 through 8. It says, you hypocrites. The thing is still swimming, huh? You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And this is in our bulletin. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So these guys were experts at being able to go through their motions and have their hearts, you know, not really attached to it at all. And I think that is sad, and that's pretty scary. Because if we put that in like, you know, 2013 practical terms, so that means 
I could maybe think of myself as being like, you know, very religious and very faithful to God by, you know, maybe just showing up somewhere, by maybe just like, you know, giving my money or by maybe just volunteering, um, whatever it might be, when in reality, you could actually be doing those things, we could actually be doing those things for the wrong motives and it really wouldn't add any value, kingdom value really, to it anyways. And that's not good at all. I think there is some value to like having good you know, routines, healthy routines, uh, traditions in place. I think it's good. It adds like, you know, some comfort. It adds maybe some stability you know, to life. You don't want to constantly be flying by the seat of your pants all the time either. I mean, there isn't a whole lot of you know, value in that either. There should be maybe some room for spontaneity, but these guys, they were routine and ritual experts. Uh, they knew exactly. They had it all laid out, all their prayers. You know, they, they had all their words in it, and it was very, very nice, and they could go right through the motion, and they noticed when maybe somebody else maybe missed something, you know. When was it time to stand up? When was it time to sit down? You know, when did they say the prayer at the right time? Were they behind a little bit? You know, did they walk through that door, you know, at the exactly, you know, the right time? And Which is tough, because some of that stuff is important, but at the same time, you don't want to make, like, too much out of it. You know what I mean? And... Um, I guess we could tell when we've made too much out of it is when it starts to maybe breed some sort of like funkiness inside of us towards that person. And what I mean by funkiness is that there's like this sort of almost maybe critical sort of type judging type of deal going on. You know, um, maybe you don't know, um, but I know. So, uh, like it kind of festers in there a little bit and it's like, oh, well maybe that, that's not good. You know, I, I don't want to be thinking, you know, negative thoughts maybe about somebody when I don't know the whole story, you know. And I think the helpful thing for us to do when that maybe sets into place is it really to invest in whoever that person is, you know, and try, really try and get the whole story, you know, and get to know them and try and figure out their lives and be like, okay, why are they really doing it that way for that particular reason? Um, ton of value into that because so many of us it's pretty easy to just write people off without knowing the whole story or even part of the story we just make like a quick snapshot judgment um, and that's what these guys are experts at they were really good at that because as far as they knew they were the perfect routine ritual by the book kind of people and if you didn't do that way and it looked different for some reason they just got looked down on right away and we talked about how, you know, Calvary Chapel, the church, uh, kind of started off during the hippie movement in the 70s, where, honestly, their big growth in the way Calvary Chapel really grew was because nobody wanted the hippies in their church. They didn't want them in there. They didn't have their shoes on. Their hair was long. Um, definitely kind of, they're strange. Right? They, didn't want, they don't want them in there. And so Calvary Chapel was like, well, you know, come on in through the door. We trust that God will work with your heart. We'll get to your feet later. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... That's the way, like, you know, we have to approach that. And that's the way we have to approach people. And it could be easy to be easily offended by maybe what other people might do, especially if we have our, 
you know, sort of boundaries and parameters on what we think is good for a Christian person to do and acceptable for a Christian to do and what not to do. You know, they can drive this car. You know, they could wear these clothes, but they definitely can't drive that car. They can't wear these clothes. They can't do this. They can't do that. It's very easy to kind of get sucked into that a little bit. So these guys were experts uh, in that, and that can be love, and that can work our way in. And if it does work its way in, just a little bit of it, somewhere down the line, it's just all of a sudden we become very critical you know, of other people and very judgmental. Maybe not super gracious. Maybe we're not really that good as far as just investing into other people. So we want to be careful of that. That will like, suck some of the life out of the compassion that like, we need to have. So two parts of eleven to watch out for is one outward show. Second uh, piece of eleven we want to look out for is to be routine and ritual experts and hold people up to that. The third type of eleven we want to be on guard of is abuse of authority. Abuse of authority. So these guys actually abuse their position, which that's not right at all. It says, but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So here's what was going on here. Basically, this particular passage came down to money and finances. And so when people maybe came into some money, finances, maybe got something, some more resources, um, what the religious leaders would say is, hey, listen... You know, instead of maybe giving back, you know, to your family or taking care of your mother and father, like it says, you know, just give it to the church, you know, and you'll be good and, and God will, you know, he'll honor that, you know, and he'll bless that. When it's like, whoa, 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 Jesus came up to them, he said, you know, this is ridiculous. And after that passage, he calls a bunch of hypocrites and kind of goes off on him. He's like, that is crazy. You can't do that stuff. You know, you got to take care of your family. You got to be there for them. Um... Just because you want, you know, the money, the possessions, doesn't mean you can sort of use God as a club or a manipulation tool to get it done. And that's kind of the key word there. They're really good at manipulating people to where, you know, if I was one of them, I could manipulate you to make you feel bad enough and you'd respect my position so now I could make you feel bad and now I could get something out of you. That's scary. And that really, really stinks when that happens. It's really devastating. There's way too many Christian men and women who's just, you know, probably doing pretty solid, like with the Lord for a season, for a good time in life, and then they fall morally somehow, they maybe fall financially, they just get themselves into trouble. Uh, And then it's, uh, you know, it's sad, and it scars a lot of people in the process, people finding out they've been taken advantage of. You know, I put my trust in them. Maybe I've given them my money. I've given them my time, my effort. And they get taken advantage of. And in the worst cases, you know, it actually comes down to physical abuse. Where the people that actually abuse their position, you know, physically. And uh, I remember I was helping out uh, with a church group in the state when I was in college. And uh, there was this guy who was the youth pastor. And I was about a half hour, 40 minutes from here. And uh, he get, ended up getting himself into trouble. Youth pastor acting inappropriate, you know, with some of the girls in the youth group. Um, not super obvious in the beginning, just like weird things. You know, he'd just be like, 
just down, you know, in a youth group time, uh, just sort of in a crowd. And all the kids were there, but he'd just be like kind of around the circle with the girls, you know, kind of weird. And, you know, there's like inappropriate tickling and touching and stuff. And I'm like, and I remember a friend of mine I was with, I was like, that's kind of weird, don't you think? And he's like, ah, oh, you know, the kids love them. Everybody gets along with them. I'm like, all right, you know, that's kind of strange. But little did I know, you know, in the background, you know, things were happening and developing. And I guess the church had confronted him on it and asked him a few things. But, you know, the church wants to trust their guy too, you know, and go with him and honor that. And unfortunately, they didn't really keep good accountability there and good tabs. And he ended up going to prison for uh, seven years on several accounts of, uh, you know, doing the wrong thing. And not good. And then so, you know, here I am, I'm like, oh my God. I didn't know this guy was doing this stuff. And i tell you what, he was pretty impactful with the kids. Um, he had a pretty good message. I would say that he was definitely gifted by God. It's tough, you know, it's tough. And then some people would say, well, geez, you know, if God knew that that was going to happen, you know, why would God even use a person like that? It's a good question. It's a good question. I don't know why he'd really use anyone like us. Because at some point he knows we're going to mess up and make a fool of ourselves and mistake. The good news is, is that there's so much grace attached to that, it doesn't even make sense to us. And so it becomes very, very confusing when a Christian um, has bad character. So when they're maybe heavily gifted by God in a particular way, but then their character is lacking, that's very confusing. So it's like, oh, that's what a Christian is? So, abuse of authority, definitely a bad sign. It usually just comes in, you know, kind of little by little. Um, and really, the only way you can tell if somebody's really doing that, if a pastor's doing that, or some religious leader's doing that, you just kind of have to watch them over time. You know, how do they act? You know, do they order people around? You know, are they really hard and condemning? Or are they kind of like soft and compassionate? Do they come alongside? And do they actually invest, you know, into people's lives? Um, at the end of the day, you know, minister, you know, that means servant. You know, are they really, do they serve? That's the kind of people who want to be around. Those are the types of people that are really representing Christ well. So that's, that's our third piece of leaven to look out for. Here's the fourth piece of leaven. The most obvious one. The refusal to believe. The refusal to believe. So we just did this passage last week. It says the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested, and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. This was the fourth time. Fourth time they came up to Jesus asking them for a sign. After he did a whole bunch of stuff. And so we discussed last week that, honestly, they already had their minds made up. They already knew. They weren't going like, to come to Jesus you know, and commit their lives they just wanted to try and find something to happen in some way where they could spin it and make it look really bad. They had their minds made up. They refused to believe. And that's like the ultimate, the ultimate leaven that we definitely don't want to fall into. And Satan's pretty quick. He's pretty sly. He knows um, that for a lot of people, he can get to them over time. So maybe not right away. But if Satan can kind of work his way in and maybe create a lot of seeds of doubt and discouragement, and maybe failure. And he can kind of lay that on somebody, maybe over time, very strategically, make it really heavy for them, very difficult. You could definitely see how somebody can come to a point of really unbelief. 
So if we just even let a little bit of uh, leaven, of just denial about who God is and about how true his word is, it can just kind of creep into the rest of our lives very, very easily. Very easily. If we're honest with ourselves. So we had four types of leaven. Outward show, routine and ritual experts, abuse of authority, and refusal to believe. So the follow-up question then is, is it possible for us to let some leaven into our lives? Is that at all possible? I hope we're saying yes, because it's definitely possible. Because if we're saying no, then it's like, uh, well, I guess you got it all together. (laughs) What is that like? We're already there, we've arrived. So I guess the question is then, is like, okay, so if it's possible, then like, what does it look like? How would I know like when to be on guard? You know, how, how can I sort of like anticipate this thing coming? What are the signs of it's kind of coming down the pike? You know, I want to like try and watch out. Be watchful. How can I be watchful? Well, I wrote down three things here. I said it could start through compromise. That's a big one. Compromise. Justification. It's not a big one. Or isolation. <laughs> compromise. Justification, isolation. Let's just start to compromise my beliefs on like what God says and His Word. Little by little, that level, it'll just work its way right through. It'll just permeate the rest of it and corrupt and influence the rest of my life. It definitely will. Just one little compromise at a time. Might not seem like a big deal. And probably to most of my friends that aren't Christians around me, it's not that big a deal. But over time, it just gets easier and easier. And maybe you have had this experience with sin where it's like, you know, it used to just appall me and disgust me. I feel so guilty and so bad about it, you know, maybe right away. But then maybe over time, that particular sin is like, it can get to a point where it's just kind of numbing and it just doesn't bother you anymore. That's scary. Been there. Definitely don't want to stay there. That's scary. Justification. I think it's pretty true that most people, if we just left to our own devices, we could just convince ourselves of anything if we wanted to. We really could. We can convince ourselves of anything we want to believe. So we have to, like, you know, surround ourselves with the truth as we believe it, you know, in faith. Uh, and with other people that also have that same mindset. And that's why isolation is that last one. is because it becomes a lot easier to justify things to ourselves. Again, when we're just left to our own devices. That's why, man, Christian family and community is huge. So important. So important. Um, I just, uh, you know, I envision, you know, you know, CC Noggy and just church, just in general. A healthy you know, community like that is just a community that just reaches out to each other, you know, during the week, just makes calls, makes texts. You know, people have to call and invest, you know, into other people. It's just, that's just what's got to happen. Because that, you know, six days go by of just struggling and fighting and feeling up and feeling down. It's just, it's a lot. And it's not necessarily just for me to go and just vent and complain to everybody. It's also for me to go, and even if I am feeling kind of down, just go pour into somebody else. And invest there. Because right away I help put a wedge and block some of that leaven of maybe justification or maybe doubt and discouragement that I'm going to be going on inside of somebody. And so that's why we talked about before maybe a few Sundays ago when 
you know, think of somebody during the week or they're on your mind or on your heart. Man, it's worth everything in the world to just pray for them right then and there. And it's the best if you could just reach out and somebody say, hey, listen, I was just thinking about you. Um, just wanted to let you know I was praying for you. Um, and it might, that just might be it. have no idea what kind of effect I might make on someone. But like that's where we have to be headed, you know, as just like a church family and as a community. I want that to be a central aspect because, man, it would really stink to know that maybe some people were just left totally isolated. And I understand there's different personalities and uh, different situations involved. Um, but if we come with the mindset to church and in Christian community that God has gifted me with ways to bless and invest and to pray for other people, and that's what I'm going to look forward to do, it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for me to be focused on myself. And so, um, that can be very helpful for us to help sort of deny and, and keep out some of that leaven that can maybe come in. So compromise, justification, isolation can be very dangerous. And so the way we can combat it is by just letting the light shine in. The way we let the light, capital L-I-G-H-T, sun, capital S-O-N, not S-U-N, let that sun come in with his light is just by being around it. Just by being around it. No matter how we're feeling or what's going on, just get, get around it, get around it. Hear it, just, man, soak it up, soak it up, soak it up. Because on the other end, the enemy is certainly strategically trying to make sure that does not happen. So as we close here, what we definitely want to do, I think, is we want to be clear on what God has said, what He's saying, and what He will do. We don't want to have misunderstanding on that. And we don't have to have a lot of misunderstanding on that if we stay faithful to the Word. And we continue to surround ourselves in community. We want to know His promises. We want to memorize Bible verses. We want to put them on our walls. Put them on our fridge. And most importantly, they want to start getting into our hearts some way. And it's very hard to get it into our hearts when we're on like a Twinkie diet. Let's not be thrown off when maybe God gets a little bit more spiritual with us. Because in that conversation, like he was talking about, you know, yeast in a spiritual sense. He wasn't really talking about it in a physical, everyday, day-to-day sense. So when God wants to get more spiritual with us, and maybe like he's calling maybe spiritual things out of us, let's maybe try and embrace it, you know, and go for it. And try and be open to that. It might be kind of weird and freak us out. It might be scared because we don't know what might happen. But let's try and do it. Let's move forward in that because we don't want to maybe let some leaven in there of constant denial and always holding back because it just gets easier for the next time. So the best way we can kind of keep some of this yeast of the Pharisees out is just by being obedient. Because Satan will purposely try to create and fuel misunderstanding. That's what he wants to do. But we don't have to be victims to it. So some of us who might already have some leaven already in there. And so the word on that one is, we just got to repent and get out of that. See, this is like where, you know, repentance, it's, it's got to be like a huge part of our life. Where we're just, and repentance just means, man, God, I'm sorry. I'm sinning with that right now, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I can't, I know it's wrong, and I'm sorry. I'm going to try not to do it next time. You know, and here's what I'm going to try and do, you know, to try and avoid that. I'll tell so-and-so, or I'll try and cut that out, or whatever the case may be. Repentance has got to be a part of that. Repentance doesn't fit really well into the routine and ritual of part of life. 
You know what I mean? God is looking to breathe life into the stuff that we do. So it's not just about, you know, the same prayers, the same way, you know, the same seats, the same posture, the same conversations. Like, he's looking to breathe life into stuff. We've got to be open to that. So, if we're going to watch out for any yeast, you know, we've got to have a magnifying glass out a lot of times. And for a lot of people, they're going to call you, like, pretty much, you know, kind of a Jesus freak, kind of a lunatic, you know, just creating situations and people in life, you know, like that. But, hey, we've got to be on guard. We've got to be on guard. And we'll close with, uh, you know, this verse here. Genesis 4, 6 through 7. You know, why be on guard? It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? You know, we'll pause there. So he had a chance. God told him, hey, listen. You have something wrong going on inside you right now. It's not good. It's not healthy. You have hatred towards your brother right now for what he's doing. He's doing the right thing. And you're hating him for it. Just deal with that. Deal with it. God's given him a chance. It's really nice to know that it's like God doesn't come around a lot of times every time we mess up and just like, you know, kaboom, just wax us. It's good to know that. Although sometimes I, we probably wish that he would. Especially if it's somebody else. It says, but if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I don't know what kind of mental picture you get in your head about sin, but tell you what, that's a pretty good one crouching at your door, just waiting to just pounce on you. And I know you've seen National Geographic movies, episodes, YouTubes, whatever. I mean, those cats are hiding out in like that desert and just waiting, really patient. And they're just waiting for an opportune time. And opportune times when they're vulnerable, when they're down, when they're discouraged, maybe out of focus. It's just waiting, crouching to snag us. That's the mental picture. So we don't want to play around with that. We don't want to play around with that at all. We want to live in the light. That's where we want to be. So we're going to uh, close with uh, one song uh, we have, uh, and then we'll close, we'll close together and pray. <coughs>
Lord, certainly after uh, hearing your warnings uh, and your message of just being aware of things, um, it could be a temptation to kind of not get involved at all too much really anywhere and uh, just kind of play it safe. But Lord, uh, help us to uh, kind of get into the game and extend ourselves um, and just take some steps of faith, Lord, wherever you might be calling us, Lord. And God, to be honest, you know, for all of us, all these things are going to creep into our lives, Lord. I mean, we're human. These things are going to creep in. But the question is, are we going to let them stay there? And are we going to meet them head on? And just kind of repent? And move on, Lord. So I pray, God, that you give us a clear sense, a better sense of uh, maybe when unhealthy uh, things are creeping into our lives, Lord. Maybe they shouldn't be there. Pray, God, that we would uh, have enough courage to let other people into our lives to help us out. That might be a very courageous step, Lord, and I pray, God, that uh, we'd be able to do it. I pray, Lord, that uh, us as a community, as a family, Lord, uh, as a church, that we would grow closer together, Lord. Because we need to be tightly, tightly uh, knit as a family, Lord, to, to go forth in your name, Lord. Our prayers would be more effective. Our ministry would be more effective, Father. When our hearts are joined together and one with you, Lord, it's, it's very hard to be, Lord. And so, God, for those of us uh, that maybe, you know, as we read and study the message and think about things, maybe we have some stuff there that's uh, not good. Uh, maybe uh, we are maybe a little bit too self-focused and... Uh, maybe we do need some help reaching out to other people. God, I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, forgive us for that, Lord. We thank you that you do forgive us and that your compassion is grace there each and every time, Lord. So, God, we just uh, pray, Lord, that we would not make the same mistakes that the uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees made, Lord. And the thing that made them just not good, Father, is that they could care less about themselves doing it. So help us to actually care about it, Lord. Help us to care enough about it to make some changes and to move forward. So God, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We pray, God, that in this last week here, as Easter approaches... Uh, that you would just work in and around our lives, Lord, in powerful ways. Pray, God, that hopefully we get a chance to get some time uh, by ourselves and just focus about your sacrifice and what that meant. Help us to get a better understanding of what this last week of life was like for you. I, I can't imagine. Can't imagine. So, Lord, help us to get a better picture of that. And I pray that out of all of that, we just get a better picture of how much you love us, Lord. Just pray, Lord, maybe for people that don't know that or aren't that secure in that. I ask, God, that you would just uh, fill them with your love, that you'd put their love around them, Lord. And for friends and family that we'll be talking to and uh, inviting the church, Lord, we pray, God, that uh, 
you would eliminate other distractions maybe in and around their lives, Lord. God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. And we ask that you would just move powerfully in and around our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.